you want me to you want me to clap when do you want us to like do claps or something or is that not? i have a reference that's recording like all of us at once so oh, okay. recording really in progress i don't need the clap but okay it. you don't need the clap you're not the only person that said that uh off the rails already already heavy hole podcast i'm big will aka uncle buck uh it's <laughs> go, ahead, go ahead go ahead go ahead hey it's me tom <laughs> nick titkovsky here that's right special guest uh i'm gonna say special guest co-host nick titkovsky weighing in again tonight on the road to halloween <laughs> welcome back nick thanks man thanks for the upgrade yes <laughs> yeah you deserve it now it's your third <laughs> I believe it's your third time on Heavy Hole Podcast, man. They were doing this road to Halloween, man. It's not the last installment either. It's just the next one. Tom, how you doing, buddy? Doing well. Staying warm. Um, uh, I, I joined a black metal book club down here. Uh, wow. I was Googling that, metal shows. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. Proceed. 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 Um, yeah, so... There's a, a book club, and book is just shorthand for vinyl. Um, so, yeah, there's like listening parties at local breweries and stuff down here, um, all involving black metal, uh, led oh, by a guy man. named Zach. He's a very nice dude. And, uh, yeah, it's cool. It's my first dive into, like, the metal scene around here. Sounds wow. fun. Um, I See, I was <laughs> – sounds fun. Happy for you. Shout to Zach. Hope everything's going well with that. I was kind of bummed because <laughs> I was hoping it was actual books about the black metal scene. Like you were because like what once you get after like four or five months, then you start getting some weird books. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like we all know Lords of Chaos, you know, and a couple of others. But, you know, after after a while, you get some cool books, probably. Oh, yeah. Um, no, no, this is I can't read. What am I kidding? I just want to listen to music and drink <laughs> beer. Sweet. Anyway, that's sweet, man. That sounds fun. Yeah, because the big joke is obviously that it's getting a little chilly here uh, in New York. Um, but Tom has uh, relocated to um, an undisclosed location in the great American South. Yes. Uh, um, yeah, I just had to let that go. Um, yeah. How are you guys doing? Nick? How are you? Doing great. Well, I mean, to, to wit, I'm wearing a, a hoodie right now. I had to throw this on just because I, I got that that chill what's starting to penetrate oh yeah but uh yeah i'm doing good doing good i i just enjoyed some southern heat i was down in texas for a couple of days nice at the gourd in the heart of texas uh, festival which was super fun and uh got back just in time I was a little worried we, we got this storm now it's been raining for like five days right well it's like there's some sort of tropical storm or something and i i thought i might not get home at one point i got this warning from delta and uh I, I my heart sank a little bit, but then uh, we ended up taking off a couple of hours late. I got home, and uh, here I am. Yeah, the weather has not been hospitable the last few days. Um, again, something else too. I, I'm glad this reminds me because I want to touch on this quickly. Tom, yeah, I missed a week last week. No, no podcast last week. The listeners know the the loyal listeners who I let down. No, really, no. The Friday morning cup of coffee listeners let everybody <laughs> down. I apologize. It's not a laughing matter. But um, the the rain, actually, 
We've been having work, lots of work on Smith Manor, contractor Olympics over here, um, feverishly reshingling, painting, plumbing. Uh, I filled up a dumpster with with rotted wood and rusty things, and I have a whole separate pile of things for the scrap metal yard. I took gallons of old gasoline to the recycling center. Um, it's been a constant grind over here. We're we're re- renovating the house from uh, the Adams family over here, basically. Uh, it's just it, and it and it all happened so quickly because the contractor who we trust and love ha- uh, is basically doing this between bigger jobs and it just got rushed, man. And um, so I'm just making this long winded apology tour to the supporters of the Heavy Old Podcast, but I am taking notes and coming at you and talking to people behind the scenes. I have people booked. I will say this though, um, Nick, now that we got you. I do have one guest booked. I'm going to spill a couple of beans. You're working with them. Oh, yeah? Uh, I'll be talking to Sean Walsh. Oh, nice. Again, um, people who don't know can go back and check out our episode with all three members of Skull Shitter. Shout to them. Um, Sean Walsh being one of them. Uh, we're going to touch base with him about not only some music he's been working on with you. You alluded to that the last time on our first Road to Halloween episode. Yeah. Uh, but some other stuff he's been working on, too. He's a busy bee. Uh, so just to, just to let you know, I'm behind the scenes. I got a Patreon episode scripted out. I'm going to record later too, man. So apologies for last week, but trust me, I was, um, I, I was handling, I was literally handling like, uh, old ice hooks. Like, you know, the, 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 the calipers that you would use for an ice block. Oh yeah. Then, yeah. Like a 1950 oh, wow. ice cream man. Wow. Um, yeah. Or a severed head. I don't you know, allegedly, <laughs> um, gaps and that you use for fit. I have, I have a whole, I uh, dude, uh, it's run real Tom. Are you interested in fishing now that you've moved down to the great American outdoors? Um, no, but I do <laughs> live really close to a bass pro shops. The one, not the one with the uh, pyramid, is it? No, not that one. Not the, uh, not the one that doubles a, as a casino. All right. Dude, yeah, dude, I've been going down. That's good because I mean, we, we, let's not go down that tangent. I've been, also doing the true crime and conspiracy podcast thing. Um, shout out to the metal podcast. I need to get back to them. Uh, we got to collaborate, guys. Anyway, um, yeah. Beyond that, man, uh, I just wanted to apologize and explain a little bit to the to the to the listeners for that, man. That's what's been going on. It's been a little nuts around here, but um, uh, moving forward, now that we got everyone on the same page, uh, we're here to do the road to Halloween. Uh, and 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 we, Nick, you have a you have a lot to offer tonight. You mentioned first of all, you went to the was it the Gord in the Heart of Texas Fest? Yeah, right? yeah. Well, I went last year because um, I saw that Brodekin was playing, and uh, it took me a little while to to get over this sort of threshold of like, oh, they're playing in Texas, I can't possibly go. Then I started to check like flight costs and motel costs and the festival costs and everything was like cheap 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 it's like i could do this i could go down and see brodekin and it i had such a good time it was two days of uh extreme brutal death metal brodekin headlining at the end of the second day that i i i committed to coming back this year so i i went this year and uh the festival is growing uh thick neck taylor added um another uh day like a shorter day at the head of it so it was a three-day festival or like a two and 
three-quarter day festival. And um, just super nice people, really great venue. It's at the Heltum Theater in near near Fort Worth. And um, just super comfortable, super comfortable place to, you know, it starts at three in the afternoon, might end a little bit after midnight. So um, you might be worried that it's, you know, like a endurance contest with yourself and your legs, but there's a place to eat in the theater. There's a bar in the theater. There's places to sit. <clears throat> so you go relax and you can walk right up to the stage, get as close as you want to the band. It's, it's a fervent, but not, you know, especially dense crowd. So um, it's just, it's just a really, really great experience. And uh, just a ton of highlights. Of course, I came back with, you know, way too much merch. My suitcase was bulging and um i'm looking at a pile of cds you know it's, it's like this is i just gave myself a job you know i gotta like listen to all this stuff and uh but we'll be doing that with 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 great joy so it's just an amazing festival and and uh next year it's going to happen again i think they're moving it to the spring moving it from september to the spring it looks like chicago domination is moving from chicago to dallas fort worth so that's going to be in september um, so it'll be two reasons for me to get down there every year. Nice. Okay. Well, what were some takeaways from this year's fest quickly? Just uh, some of the, some bands you saw in particular. So, yeah, I mean, day one, the, probably the, the highlight for me was uh, a band called regurgitated entrails. It was um, young guys. Um, some of these guys played with desiccation last year and, um, and just really inventive, dark, fast, heavy. And um, when we do the recommendations, I'll I'll, I'll mention the demos. I, I got their demos. They got they got a new record coming out, but uh, the demos uh, I just got them. It's just total totally sick band, amazing. Just inhuman speed and accuracy and heart and passion. It, it was amazing. Day two um, favorite bands were uh, Reviled played. Uh, with Brennan Shackelford and uh, Thickneck on vocals. They played as a three-piece this year and um, killed it. Just amazing band. Um, there was a, a, uh, an, an opener, a duo. played. Uh, they played with, um, you know, one guy on guitar and one guy with... No, they both wore ski masks. One vocalist, one uh, on guitar with a computer backing come soaked corpses reeking rectal discharge <laughs> they oh. were opening at, th at three three in the afternoon that's what like that's what i saw at three in the afternoon it's like day two is strong and uh deflowered was great architectural genocide was a highlight and uh, pyrexia played that night and uh third night was um probably my favorite bands were uh deterioration desiccation ah. Hey. Yeah, deterioration was unbelievable. Hey, I gotta, I got just freaking ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it, it was insane. Like I could go on. Like we, we it, it, there's too many. There's like thirty six bands. Yeah, there's and a lot. Uh, not none of it. None of it sucked. Like I could, you know, I'm I'm sort of like flipping a coin, trying to tell you, you know, which one's my favorite. But uh, a virulent excision played. They're an amazing band. And just, uh, you know, just uh, ridiculously high level performances 
everyone just playing for the love of it and and audience you know half the audience was playing you know it's like a lot of musicians a lot of super fans and really really great vibe fair enough man you're making me want to you're selling it really good man something oh. else something else you sold me on if you guys are ready to shift gears and get into the meat of the episode now uh you sold um us i think you sold us on two of these movies that we're about to talk about tom tom right these are two of nick's recommendations and and uh my and mine right you didn't Oh, I recommended one. Uh, yeah, oh. I think it's one of each. I yeah. think it's one for each of us. We did okay, okay, okay. Fair enough. Um, uh, I blundered that one. Jeez, uh, so <laughs> embarrassing. It doesn't matter. No, no, no. Um, regardless, something else you sold me on the movie uh, Lisa and the Devil. You talked about it and gave us uh, a little preview, a trailer, as they say in Hollywood. Um, last episode, la I shouldn't say last episode, last. Uh, Road to Halloween episode about this movie. Um, maybe you just want to catch the listeners up to speed uh, about your your personal background with this before we 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 weigh in on it. All right, this this okay, so one was my that, pick. Yeah. I brought yeah, this that one was Tom's. In. I'm sorry. Wait, I okay. Now I'm all fucked up because I thought that Nick had some story about seeing this at a movie theater. No, we're we'll. Uh... Oh no, that was let's scare Jessica to death. Right, right. Okay. All right. All right. So it was. All right. There was. Um, We're just going to keep this all in, but I'm going to just oh, talk we, about Lisa and the Devil. Yeah. We can, yeah. We can keep it all in, and I apologize to Lisa and to Jessica. My <laughs> and the Devil. No, the, 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 <laughs> just keep rolling, Tom. Let's shut up now. Yeah. So Lisa and the Devil is kind of a. Um, we 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 talked a lot of these like zombie movies last time. Um, and kind of like the more the DIY. And when I was thinking of what I wanted to bring to the table, I wanted to bring something that was a little bit more of a precursor. Um, so this is a earlier Mario Bava movie. So Bava is like that first generation horror Italian director. Um, let's see when this movie came out. I forgot. But this is uh, this is before Lamberto Bava. And 73. 73. Right. So this movie, Lisa and the Devil, it's very colorful and it's very odd. It moves well, though. It doesn't feel like too much of an art film, um, even though it has like a touch of that. Um, Will, I see your face. You're uh, smiling at the word art film. My... <laughs> I think it has a little bit more, my perception of art film is a little bit more art in this than, than yours maybe, but you're also a little bit more well-schooled in this type of thing. I let, Let's keep going though, because I already, I already botched that whole <laughs> intro to this movie. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> okay, well, speaking of... I don't, I think it's... Yeah, go, go. Yeah, speaking of intro of the movie, uh, this, they nail it right off the top. The credits are awesome. The, like, the tarot card yes. thing with that little hand, yeah. that, like, animation. Uh... I'm Nicely. so glad you mentioned that. That was amazing. Yeah, it yeah. Was sorry so to cool. jump in. That was just so cool. Yeah, I love that. I just like the way it, it's like really simple storytelling in terms of like it's not there's no spoon feeding of where this movie's gonna go. Um, it never really treats the audience like a dum dum in a way where it's um, uh, it's not like overtly any one type of movie. It's very like standalone. But at the end of the day, like I still kind of look at this like a zombie movie. Or like a, a possession movie. Um, and it's weird because you see like 
this phase of uh, we're doing some spoilers here the movie's from 73 so i recommend seeing it um lisa she she's traveling with a tour bus doing the tour guide thing in a little square in italy she gets off the bus she goes oh look how nice this place is she separates from the group and theoretically she dies that's how i look at it where Mm. everything after her getting off the bus is like she got hit by a bus or something but then she's immediately just put into like this this hell world and the devil escorts her there and that's telly savalas if you don't know who that is kojak you gotta watch some of that some great dirty cop yeah. stuff really yes yeah. yeah, yeah. some really great old school actors popping up in a few of these flicks but go on yeah um so the, there's just like nick what did you think of this movie i want to get your opinion well well i, I like... you mentioned kojak so you might know the answer to this does telly savalas have lollipops written into his contract i think it had something to do with him like legitimately quitting smoking and oh, really he, he really <laughs> had that going all the time like he always had yeah, a lollipop. i always thought that was like that was like the soft edge on the tough cop in kojak you know that was like the wise guy lollipop thing you know this like super hardened dude who just loves his lollipop and then the freaking devil is eating lollipops in this movie? That's not Kojak. That's it's like it's like the through line was so weird. I when I first saw that, it's like, oh my god, Telly's got his lollipop. Anyway, um, I too loved the opener. It just looked it looked like one of those like sort of funny '60s comedy films that sometimes open with these kind of like kicky, funny kind of animations. But it it had that sort of dark irony to, and you know, the content, like you say, it was the, you know, the tarot cards and stuff like that. So it had this feeling of, um, had this kind of almost cutesy kind of vibe, but the content of it was was really dark. And I really liked that sort of combination. I loved, um, I loved seeing the mural in the town square there and they zoom in and it's a mural it's a painting of the devil carrying bodies. And uh, the legend is that the devil himself is protecting that mural because it was painted so long ago, it would have worn out by now, if not for the devil's own intervention. And then you zoom in on the devil and it looks like Telly Savalas. It's like, oh, <laughs> all right. Yeah, they I know where that. this is going. I totally nailed it. It looked like an like an ancient painting of Telly Savalas. Oh, I loved it. And it, it's so funny. It's like it's the quirkiness ties into it. Like you're, you're looking at it and you can chuckle at it, but you also know it's going to take you down this weird rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. And then and then you see how like how she she the main character uh Lisa is sort of shuffled like almost like your like fate is kind of nudging her one way and she and then like nudging her the other way and like getting her closer and closer to this house where telly is a servant so like even that setting was like sort of confusing to me it's like the matron of the house was this old blind woman who obviously was dominating the house and she has this weird son who is subservient to her and this really 
or a twisted way. You know, there's some kind of bizarre family history that pre, you know, that happened earlier than the movie's plot. And it's kind of coming out. And 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 Telly Savalas is is their servant and he really acts like a servant. He's super suave, but he acts, you know, like a servant. So I'm I'm kind of doubting at one point is like, who's the boss? You know, is there is like she the devil? Or are they working together? Or like, you know, it it's it kind of had me guessing a little bit, like what the sort of power hierarchy was in that totally twisted household. Right. Yeah. I so felt that I, too. I don't know. On first, yeah, I, I was going to ask you, like, first time you saw it, were you kind of trying to decode? Um, like I, what the. I, I kind of like, to be honest with you, the first time I watched it, I just kind of like, I didn't read into anything. I just kind of watched it and was like, what, how is this unfolding? Cause it didn't make, it doesn't uh -huh. make any sense at the top, but the way it ties together at the end, it's like, Oh, okay. Now we have this like abstraction of like hell. Um, yeah. But, and it does tie together nicely, but you're right. Once you enter that world, you're not sure who the puppet master is for a while. And like, who's really yeah. calling the shots? Um, right. Which is right. kind of rules. And there was this kind of like, yeah, it, it was great. Like I thought, like I assumed she was the killer. You know, you even they even showed, the camera showed her walking with the bloody scissors mm -hmm. at one point. Um, and uh, like, okay, so no, spoilers are okay, right? Yeah, we're just doing it. <laughs> this like, is okay, 1973, yeah. you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I just, I just loved, you know, kind of being thrown off like that. And um, I, I would actually rewind and re-listen to her son's bizarre monologues. They're so crazy. Like yeah. when he's, you know, he, he knows that a fifth person has returned. There's this, there's this illusion to you know the his blind mother sits down at the dinner table and says you haven't introduced me to the fifth guest and there is no fifth guest visible so it's like oh who's the fifth guest and then her son like what's his name maximilian or something like that uh starts raging at this at the return of this invisible guest and and he's got this really charming, weird accent I, I can't really pin down. And he's like going through these great monologues and tortured reveries. Like, how can I stop you if I can't even see you? You know, he's like, and he's just on his own. You know, it's like his big moment. I'm sure you like milked it for everything he could. And yeah, that's I just, for sure. I just loved his character so much. It's like, man, I got to find that. How can I stop you if I can't even see you lying again? Just to, just to see how he delivers it. Yeah, uh, it, it, I... it's weird how. Oh, sorry, Will. Um, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, it's weird how like uh, one thing to note too is how um, time is kind of portrayed in the movie. Like they they go yeah. they basically travel back in time, but without even acknowledging it. And it like him speaking in the, the those weird like poetic phrases kind of lends itself to that. Yeah. Which is also weird because like Telly yeah. Savalas is just, he's just like, hey, how could I help you, miss? And, you know, he's like helping them with yeah. the car and stuff. It's, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Real weird. 
it's super weird. I, it, it's super weird. Will, were you trying to jump in for a sec there? Well, I was just, <laughs> the more you guys go back and forth about it, and I totally respect where you're coming from. You guys li- like this one. Get it. Not that I don't like it, but um, yeah, Telly Savalas was great. Um, it's it's confusing. Totally, it's a confused. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be confident enough to admit that this movie was confusing to me, and at the end of it, I still didn't understand everything that I had seen transpire. Um, that being said, it's it, it's a it is a very interesting movie. It's a there's a lot that I did you know, read into and kind of get, you know, what, what was inferred and it goes a lot of different creepy places, but it's, um, it's a long watch. It's (laughs) not necessarily what I was ready for. Uh, and I just want to make that clear, um, you know, to the listeners too, it's, you know, uh, it, it, like when Tom said, it's a little art film, I think this is a lot art film, um, the, <laughs> the only thing, the only thing I could identify with was the, I was like, yo, when's Telly Savalas going to arrest everybody, bro? The f- <laughs> get the fuck out of here. I want Telly Savalas to arrest that kid. Uh, but, but in, in all seriousness, um, definitely like, a, I, I would say more of a highbrow, um, horror film, uh, something, you know, it, this is. Not not your everyday zombie flick or vampire flick, man. This was like this was a little bit more going on, a little bit more to think about. Something that might merit re- repeat watching or never wanting to watch again, depending <laughs> on you know. It's 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 a mood. It's definitely a vibe. It's not something you just throw yeah. on. Yep, you have to be willing to dedicate the hour and forty five minutes to it, man, because it feels longer than some movies that are like three hours and if i'm gonna be real and i don't and i don't mean that in a bad way i mean the atmosphere and the pacing of it yeah really takes its time um and and like you said there are these monologues there's a there's a lot of stuff that if you know if you really got to pay attention you know what i mean man because you yeah. can miss things there's there's some weird stuff going on there and there's a lot that's kind of open for interpretation as well and um, some of it's so fucking again, really I, I, funny like so, some of it is like oh, I yeah. agree with what you're saying, and just adding to that, it's like you, it's hard to take the movie kind of at face value. Like just the relationship between the the rich couple, like how mean they are to each other. Oh yeah, it's so yeah. funny. Like it's like a comedy bit, and like when she yeah. runs over him at the end, <laughs> like backs over him, like she and destroys again, that and dude. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, she she does the job and like make sure it's done. Yeah, so there is like this weird thing where the pacing is super theatric and it, it has that already feeling and then it just turns into like that just like all right, I'm just going to splatter someone right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm still not 100% sure like where hell begins and where her life ended. I I hear what you're saying, but like the people actually dying in the movie and 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 then like they did actually die they they did change their state of you know like walking around talking to being dead and then being those dummies so like i'm not it's really like this weird twilight thing it's almost like the the final scene in the plane that seemed to me to be like the final um okay now we're heading to hell like all this other stuff in the house, 
was like gamesmanship, preparation rituals, um, you know, I don't even know, you know, whatever kind of cosmic sacred things happen before you go to maybe purgatory. I don't know, you know what it was, Yeah, but I, like, I would to see her like on that plane all by herself. That was freaking great. Yeah. I love, of that. And she's like running around and trying to like that whole notion of being on a plane and then realizing you're alone on a plane. What a cool idea. Yeah, creepy. And also it made me jealous. Dummies and it's all the characters. I want to fly you know, like that. Yeah. Jealous of what like the the, get... the, the airplanes yeah, exactly. they used to stretching have. out on three seats. Yeah, th those were those were awesome <laughs> airplanes. The the two the two flights where they actually gave you a little leg room and they didn't treat you like a piece of shit for buying a ticket from them. Oh yeah, as many cigarettes as you want. Yeah, exactly. Um, I yeah, I would. Oh, yeah, what was that whole thing about cigarettes with Telly Savalas? Like, I don't know. Do you, do you remember that one scene? Like, what was the role of that? With where 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 he borrows a cigarette from the from the rich guy, right? Yeah. And he smokes it. And then the matron comes down and he like, whoop, like ditches the cigarette and blames it on the other guy as if to cover him. Why is he, he's the devil. Why is he covering for himself for this woman? Yeah. This matron. It's a very weird dead. role he's playing. And then like when it continues on into the other room, like later on when he's putting together the body, and, like fixing the face and he's like smoking this weird oh, like, yeah. straw, like cigarette and he's has this monologue that's really contemporary like we yeah. know he's like you can almost just assume he's like timeless because he's talking from a very like he's just talking casually like as if he's not even he's not from that time period and also um i think that oh, that couple, really good point I think that that couple and the driver are from a different time period too. Because if you look at the, the car they show up in, it's dated. That's like a 1940s kind of oh, car. Wow. So it looks like it was. It's like a series of incidents that kind of got rolled up in this like ghost, ghostly kind of scenario. And Lisa is just like the newest addition to that. Oh, that's a great way. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they're like converging from all different eras yeah it's just a just a thought you know it, I, and i just well, thought it, that now like well you just put words to this thing that was nagging me while i was watching it it's like yeah his style of talking is not the same he's just talking normally contemporary yep. mm -hmm. speech and they they all have these kind of stilted monologues and and uh yeah, I thought it was just like Telly being Telly, like Telly being Kojak, but it was it was you know, it was it stood very differently. It sounded very different from the other. How did you like that whole weird necrophilia thing? Maximilian's trying to consummate his wedding. Well, and yeah, he's yeah. like he's bugged by his former lover who's a skeleton in the bed. It's like, dude, just don't use that bed. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things wrong with that scene. I don't even think, like, you know, to be fair, I don't even think having a skeleton in the bed is, like, the worst thing he's doing in that moment. It's uh, it's the other act to the living woman. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ. There's a lot of weird... I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, 
I do wish this movie was about Kojak going undercover and busting this kid Maximilian because he went. They took it too far. Um, there's a lot of weird stuff in this movie. Uh, there's a lot that it's dark on a lot of levels. There are some visceral, like like we were just talking about, some more visceral. Uh, I, I guess you might want to say traditional horror movie scenes, but but there's there's uh there's a lot of art here. There's a lot of atmosphere. I like in this when I was thinking about um you guys talking about this and how I'm kind of again I don't I don't dislike this movie, but it's like right time, right place. It's a certain flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's almost like like listening to a Portal album, the Australian yeah. band Portal. It's like you gotta you gotta know what you're biting off. You gotta know what you're getting into and be ready for the atmosphere and want and want that. You know what I mean? Like it's not, uh, it's not introductory level horror, or maybe it is because it's like what they would play you in a college f- film class. But it's not, you know, it's not like what you play for your friend or your girlfriend or whoever who's like, yeah, I don't really like horror flicks. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. you know. It's not that like, oh, it's Friday night. We want to watch a horror. Like, we want to watch horror and drink whiskey. Like, you don't do that with your friends. They're going to kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So, I. that being said, um, uh, just in the interest of, of uh, uh, being able to cover everything else and respecting our format, guys, any other thoughts on this movie if, uh, if you guys want to wrap up? Nick, what do you got? Uh, let me see. No, I think, you know, I, I, I definitely rewound it a couple of times. I was, I was, for me, it's the kind of movie that super fans memorize lines. You know how they used to do that with, uh, with, um, some midnight movies, you know, and, and this is the kind of movie I, I would love to like see with a group of hardcore fans and like, here comes the part, you know, you know, here comes the part where he says, I cannot stand to be in your house of death, mother. You know, it's that it, it's, yeah. it feels like a real cult. It has just such cult potential. And um, I just really dug the flavor of it. Yeah, I, I, I second that. I don't really I'm not going to go into anything specific. I do recommend it, but I agree with Will's warning of the phrasing of this kind of film time and place yeah. um you guys want to move on to the next one yeah sure. i was thinking, i was thinking um if we could do my suggestion next and then uh next, um uh finally because i actually if i had to pick a favorite it would be nick's um but i do want to talk about um the recommendation that i gave you guys i previewed it a little bit on the last episode and i've probably talked about it before i have a nostalgic love for this it's one of the first uh zombie movies or first um horror movies i saw as a kid shout out to my uncle frank um always getting me into these movies and sending me vhs uh bootlegs allegedly shockwaves <laughs> from uh, shockwaves uh with peter cushing from 1977 um uh basically um one of i don't know if it would be i you know i don't want uh, the horror movie fans getting at me but maybe the first uh zo- nazi zombie movie or one of the first definitely one of the most um uh famous i i guess you should say or one of the most well known nazi zombie movies peter cushing being a um former SS officer in hiding and there's a uh, secret uh, like 
test uh, um, scientific test uh, uh, breed of superhuman SS zombie soldier. And I, I don't want to spoil the beans too much, but I mean, we could talk about it. Um, uh, but this this movie is not. You know, as a zombie movie per se, it's not like like there there's not as much gore. They're not ripping people apart and eating them and gore hanging out the mouth and blood dripping and all that sort of thing. It's a weird it's more. About, I think this movie is more about the premise than the execution. That's what occurred to me while rewatching it. Um, I, I watched it. You know, I would not I, like I probably watched this movie three or four times throughout my teens and early 20s. Uh, when I was like really getting into horror movies and 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 uh, watching a lot of these movies, my uncle was getting me into and all that sort of thing, and um and then I watched it uh, uh, most recently a few days ago uh, in preparation for this episode, and many years have passed since the last time I watched it, so I'm watching it with different eyes. I will say this personally: it didn't have the same staying power as say dawn or day of the dead or zombie um or or some other movies uh i definitely still enjoy the soundtrack and the weird synthy music that they do i enjoy the premise and the weird look uh of the zombies i will say this um it did not inspire any headgear i may have worn in any bands i've ever performed in um we'll get that out of the way but it's not when we say zombie movie, it's not your zombies ripping people's guts apart. It's more this weird clandestine zombie unit of of Nazis that come up out of the water. And I don't know. I want to let you guys take it from here now, because I had some interesting thoughts about it going back and watching it after all these years. Still a movie that I think is like worthy of praise. And I know it has a cult following and all that sort of thing. Um but I see it now for kind of like being this oddball movie too. This kind of like weirdo movie now too. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I loved it. I loved shockwaves. I watched it two and a half times. The first, I say half because I started watching it way too late one night and I was sort of in a coma for half of it. And it'd be like, Oh wait, did someone just die? Oh, I really got to go to bed. But I watch it. I watch it twice since then, and I, I, I've some really strong impressions of it. One, one first and foremost is after your description, I completely miss, uh, uh, apprehended what this movie was going to be like. When you say Nazi zombie super soldiers, to me, it's like Tarantino violent you know we're going to see a thousand nazi zombies getting killed in all sorts of amazing you know ways it's just going to be a nazi slaughter fest you know and like who doesn't want to see nazis getting destroyed you know it's it's going to be that's what it's going to be it's going to be campy and gross and total i could not have been more wrong it was so somber and so strange and and there is no gore all the murder, all the all the death are drownings. These are super soldiers that were created to be able to just be underwater and without having to surface. They don't need to breathe. So the, it brings this extraordinary underwater photography. I saw like a whole 
separate camera crew was credited for the underwater photography. It's it's stunning. It is beautiful underwater photography. In the beginning, when they show the shipwreck underneath and you see it starting to stir because of that sort of red sun disturbance. And, you know, it's kind of causing a kind of shudder uh, under the water. And like you see the anchor falling and all these amazing amazing underwater scenes and um i too i really love the music um because it it's sometimes there there were long stretches without music and there were no sort of like scare music there there there'd be a kill but the music wouldn't necessarily react to it it was just sort of like something that the music is just sort of going on in this dark dreamy way and then you see this person slowly being drowned by the super soldier but there's not even really a a struggle it's so so somber it's really freaking dark i i i really loved it um and by the way i the opening and closing reminded me a lot of let's let's scare jessica to death i i keep pushing that film but it's it's a it's the female protagonist alone in a boat opening the movie reminiscing in the voiceover over what you're about to see and then closing at the end reminiscing with the similar words over what you just saw so that sort of book matched female protagonist floating in the water in a little boat really brought me back to that and um i don't want to go on too too long because you know tom's got to weigh in on this but um there were a few there were a few extraordinary moments and when she screams, you remember when she screams and she, when she swims, she's swimming and she swims accidentally into the corpse oh, yeah, of, yeah. of of the crew member. Her scream, it's not a scream queen scream. It's the scream that you would scream. It's like a horrified, like from the gut, like, ah, you know a horrified scream. I, I believe that scream <laughs> was really good and brought and, you know, and just brought me in more into the movie to like, believe her. I, I believed her. And there was another scream kind of later on where um, the lack of like over the top, uh, you know, just, just try, trying to scare the audience with a loud screaming sound, you know, that, that's not what it was. It was her horror really being delivered in a in a believable way. And yeah. I, I got more to say about this film. I, I really dug it, but I, I've been kind of going on a little too long here. Let me let me pass the ball for a sec here. You're covering good ground. Um, it's it, yeah, this this movie is like it feels like seasickness because of all the like the music and the underwater photography and like the uneasiness, the kind of slow yeah. shots. There's like something I really liked in this movie, but I think that happened too much was showing the Nazi zombies like popping out of the water. <laughs> they, it looks so awesome the first time they do it. And the second time they do it, you're like, all right, they're, they're back, but they move so slow that like, I don't know. It happens like five, six more times, and you're like, "Okay, now we're just pushing on time here." Um, but I, I, honestly, the movie was paced well outside of that. 
Um, and that yeah. that's something that every single zombie movie is like guilty of from this time period. So not not at all detrimental. This is like a really solid idea for a movie, and I, I really like the um, the concept over execution. Um, I really like the way the movie starts. Like as soon as it comes in, it's like that kind of broadcast, that news broadcast, like in 1941. Yeah, I had a, a whole bunch of zombies made. Yeah, and like yeah. more movies should do that. I love that. Just like here's the premise, watch it unfold. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's funny. Yeah. I I realized that tonight's kind of the- through line theme is like alt zombies in a way. Yeah, because none none of them, all these movies have like a, a weird take on the living dead, but we're and, you know. yeah that, and they're all kind of somber and and paced. I don't know that Shockwaves merits any kind of art house term, but um, the other two have a little bit more art going on. Yeah, and I um, think the, I, like not to skip ahead. I just sorry, Tom. I would say that the third one we're going to recommend is almost a perfect culmination of a lot of the traits we're talking about from the first two but uh tom go ahead i'm sorry yeah no all good i agree um this this is more like if this movie feels like filthier like you feel like you're in the mud with them and um and it's horrifying it's like it's a way more horrifying concept because it's not that far off like someone you know everyone is extremely afraid of being drowned and it's yeah that's the only way they're taking these people out and it's like You know, yeah, I I know that. You know, I've been I've been in the ocean a few times. It's yeah. not good. I I love there the and 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 so and like a couple of the a couple of the drownings are off camera, which is such a bold thing to do in a in a in a <laughs> genre where you're tempted to just throw red meat to the audience, but the payoff, there's like a few scenes in each of these movies that are so iconic you really want them to be like in some kind of hall of fame and in this movie the one image of the woman in the aquarium yeah oh my freaking god that was unbelievable it's like who thought of that that is so good it's like the the nazis you know the nazi super soldier he drowns people you know but they're indoors Oh, there's an aquarium. I know what to do. She's going in there. And and but with without even like a sign of struggle, like the peacefulness of that horrifying, horrifying image, that to me is like the single image that that strike that stuck with me the most. But there's so much um it's so lovingly, beautifully shot. The 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 nature scenes are so extraordinary. Like it, just watching that scene where she swims the one i mentioned before where she's swimming just recreationally on that in that stream and and the way the waves the 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 water looks almost like oily it's reflecting all these beautiful tropical trees and it the lush colors it it it's it's just absolutely beautiful nature photography um I wanted to actually go back to the thing. Like, do you have any theory of like how long did these guys have to hold their breath underwater to do these emerging things that you 
yeah uh, are mentioning because the water has they're going in you got to wait for the water to be still so i started to really watch for it it's like i you'd see the surface of the water there's no disturbance there's no bubbles there's no ripples there's no evidence of all at all of like five guys getting into the water you know a minute ago 30 seconds ago how long could you hold your breath i can't hold it that long so you'd have to get into that water and wait for someone to give you the signal that the surface is smooth enough it's like okay guys emerge and you're like yeah you know can we please you know and you gotta like you can't show it on your face you gotta like get out of that water slowly. Yeah, I have no idea how long they were holding their breath under there, but it does. That's kind of a remarkable thing. I start to wonder, like, are they doing this backwards? Uh, you can they shoot see it, it running off of them, and it's like you, it, yeah, right. that kind of like practical effect where it's it's just hundred percent relying on these actors who are like willing to. They probably had to learn some Wim Hof style breathing before they went under, so they can. Like, <laughs> what is that? Oh, it's just like some some crazy guy who uh, okay. talks about breathing and stuff. I don't know. It was on like Joe okay, Rogan okay. or some shit. But um, yeah. uh yeah. Anyway, like it does kind of force you to think. Like it breaks the fourth wall while you're watching it. Like how yeah, are those yeah. men actually? We know they're just men. How are they yeah. doing that? It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it is awesome. And and I, it wasn't bothering me. Like the fourth wall being broken wasn't bugging me. I was just like second time through. I was looking like. Is there like maybe some air in those glasses? That's why they have to wear those goggles. <laughs> also, once he figured out, was that accidental when the guy pulled the goggles off? Was that an accidental thing or did he already know that the goggles kill the super soldiers? Um, why did he just do that? The next guy. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that that is a little bit of a plot hole, but I, I don't I don't know if they like put that together. Might have been such a oh. like. A shocking state. Like they had to get the goggles removed and see the sun to be defeated. Like they needed. So it dark. wouldn't have worked at night, right? I don't think so. That, so. That's the thing about this movie is, like I said before, and, and I say all this out of love because I do have a nostalgic love for this movie. I understand why people love it. I probably will watch it again. But um, Nick kind of summed it up too is that it's not what you might expect. You say Nazi zombie movie. You people expect like all the zombies. You know, people expect zombies with tanks or some weird yeah, shit. You know, like no, shit. no, this is not over the top. It's it's almost I don't want to say believable, but like the way Nick described it, I I think you summed everything. It's somber. Yeah. And the thing about it is why I said it's almost premise over execution is because, um, first of all, I hate pretty much all the actors it's one of those movies where it's not hard Dude, the, the the dorky guy with the glasses and the fucking disco guy with the curly hair i'm sorry man it was easy yeah. to watch those guys get it but um uh and, you know peter cushing is great i love i love peter cushing in this movie uh it's a little you know it works for him but it's a little over dramatic some of his monologues but at the same time it it, dis it it lets you know what's going on with the movie pretty much so like it's it's indispensable to the plot but the thing about the movie is like i don't know you almost like the world of, of that this movie builds a little bit and it implies um and and you want to know more about that and you like the premise of it maybe more than what they show of it just the idea that there was this zombie 
platoon and this one SS, uh, you know, guy um, uh, is living on a, an island incognito somewhere. And there's this SS platoon somewhere in a submarine ready to, or in a ship at the bottom of the water getting, you know, and I don't know, man, like they're. I feel like if they redid it today, um, you, you you know, like with some different production value and different choices, uh, thematic, you know, I, well, I'm just getting at the idea that the premise is really dark. Uh, and if yeah. you if you loan yourself to it enough to get over some of the plot holes and some of the more 70s horror movie. Uh, uh, um you know, like stereotypes that they do lean into, like with like the dorky character and the, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like the guy with the glasses and then oh, he's yeah. like, and then you got yeah. the loose guy with the curly hair. And so like some of the, some of the, um, and the guess, bickering, the bickering married couple, just like in the first movie. Yeah. Some of the, ca- the casting is a little generic, I guess, or a little corny sometimes. Like some of that shit is hard to get to, but then, um, What's his name? Homeboy from uh, uh, Kung Fu's father, John um, Carradine. John Carradine. Kung Fu's father. <laughs> I, dude, I was mad that he was the first one to get it. I wanted more of him in that movie because he was kind of like setting all those other people straight that they were idiots and shit. Like I, I liked that part of it, man. Um, yeah. I, I, and- I, I gotta say, like the, the Harvey Keitel looking accountant guy who sucked. He was hilarious. Like you wanted him dead, but also some of the lines he said. They were they were yeah. like so clutch. He's like, these people wouldn't know how to boil water, let alone sail in it. It's like, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That was a good one liner. But you also one-liner. hate him for saying it. You know, it's it, one liner. Yeah, like you want to watch him like kill himself by accident. But uh, <laughs> but yeah. But I know what you what? mean. It is a little generic, and um, I think if the cast. I think if he stayed that character and then they made the wife more of a bitch or something, because she was a little too like, she was a little too agreeable with like hearing it from him. And mm. uh, I don't know. I, I, I just, I do like this movie a lot though. You know, it's, I don't think the plot holes are anything that you, it, it's nothing detrimental at all. No, not at all. Not at all. And I just, I just remembered just now, like, Remember that scene in the in the swimming pool? Yeah. Where where of course you remember the scene in the swimming pool. But it just occurred to me that swimming pool was like a quarter full. <laughs> it was like not a pleasure swimming pool. It was so gross. It didn't it didn't strike me. It almost looked like an industrial vat, but it was a swimming pool. Yeah. And that just like drove home the sheer inhospitality of where they were you know it's a hotel it should have a nice swimming pool but the swimming pool has like four feet of water in it and like five feet of wall so it's a death trap it's this horrible pit and and that final scene of him like that guy trying to get away from the nazi zombie in that swimming pool such a gross just such a forsaken place to die it really struck me on the second viewing yeah how effective that setting was yeah um yeah. go ahead go ahead sorry oh no nothing i was uh i i felt like i cut you off before well why don't you uh pick up your thought there sorry i don't know man my thought is mainly agreeing with everything nick said before somber is the word 
uh the music i love uh, you're right what they do with the music it's like the music is just more kind of haunting throughout yeah. the movie there's there's not like like when there when someone dies or someone is being stalked there's not this explosive tension uh it's kind of quick and they can they, you know what i mean and, they, and then like they the, the movie just kind of keeps going you know it's not a long drawn out movie it's paced but um it does what it has to do it's yeah, the thing about the movie is it, it, it when you say zombie movie, horror movie, Nazi zombies and all this sort of thing, it's and then Peter Cushing as this like he's I, I feel like he's perfect in the role. Um and and it's I don't know, I want to use the word like gothic almost, but again, that speaks mainly to the idea more than the execution because the execution is 70s horror movie in a lot of ways, man. And uh, what also sets the bar a little bit higher for this, like you mentioned, too, is the nature of photography. I don't want to leave that out. I agree with you 100 percent. There's like yeah. almost Jacques Cousteau level shots of just fish, uh, nothing to do with the with the plot necessarily, but just enriching the world and the flavor. And the opening scene that you mentioned uh, of the boat reminded me. And there are some other things where this almost seems a little bit like a sketch of um a parallel to the movie zombie uh mm. i you know where the because there's an opening scene with a boat obviously there's a different you know thing going on but there's an opening scene with this boat adrift and it's found by some people um and then there's you know just some kind of like sexy couples that go you know off for a fun trip little do they know what, what awaits them that sort of thing so there's like a little there's an interesting parallel there um, I don't know if it was intentional. What what year was the movie Zombie? I'm trying to look this up right now, but I oh, just question. yeah, I just wonder if that could have possibly been like uh, a I don't know if at, at that point back in the day they were everyone was ripping each other off. Seventy nine, seventy Zombie was seventy nine. So yes, yeah, so right. I don't know if it had anything that one had anything to do with the other, but it's also another interesting parallel how there's these drifting boats where you find the aftermath of some story and there's a sexy couple going to the tropics somewhere it's just a i don't know um maybe yeah. that's a, that was an easy thing to come to but, but I, I again maybe it's based off of something else i'm ignorant of but it, i thought that was an interesting parallel but the parallels kind of stopped there like i said it's not a splatter gore movie no. it's, it's it's a weird dark movie i was gonna say when we were talking about the fish scenes and the things going orange for a minute with that weird eclipse, that's kind yeah. of not really explained. It's just a very convenient, natural phenomenon that um, unleashes the rest of the events of the movie somehow. Otherwise, yeah. Peter, Peter Cushing might still be chilling on that island, just like undetected. You never know. Um, yeah. yeah, I, it, it, I was that, gonna, rem that reminded me. Of, did you ever see? Uh, I, I don't want to go off on go off track but that inexplicable natural thing on the boat that reminded me of the incredible shrinking man where yes. he's on the boat and that fog comes in and no one no one ever refers to it again no one explains it nobody even tries to explain it you just know it was causal and that's and that that red sun that red weird thing whether it was an eclipse or whatever that was it makes it so uh uh makes you puts you so off balance that they don't really explain it no one ever tries you just know something happened in the sky 
that activated something in the sea and yeah don't expect an answer same thing yeah it's it's a very old old fashioned convenient plot device for a horror movie yeah. um or or but or a suspense movie of some kind but yeah, i was just going to say with that with those two things the wildlife scenes and that weird eclipse orange film scene um i was going to say this might be a good one for people who like to do allegedly hallucinogenics or something like that and watch a good horror movie but then yeah then like the second half of the movie i don't know <laughs> You might go into a weird hole yourself, dude. Um, <laughs> watch out. Not, yeah, I don't know if that's recommended. But, again, like, I don't know, man. My thoughts on this, I, again, I don't want to downplay this movie. I don't want people to come away saying to skip this one. You should definitely check it out. Um, But uh, at first glance... You just 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 try to try to glide over the rough patches as best you can, man, because there's there's a few like I said, there's you know, like Tom said, the plot holes aren't going to ruin it for you. But um, if you're expecting a, a high end production value, if you're expend if you're expecting uh, some of the best acting you've ever seen and, and best casting you've ever seen, you know, just just go with it for a while. I promise you all the annoying people die. It's definitely um, worth it. <laughs> oh, 100 percent. Talking about the underwater stuff, I never even thought of that angle, Nick, of the guys breathing underwater, the actors. Now you got me thinking if there's a scuba diver under there with some scuba gear, with some scuba tanks for them or something. I don't know. but Possibly, uh, but then there'd be bubbles. See, I've right. thought about this. Right, right. <laughs> That's, you you got to keep the surface pristine. My favorite scene is when Peter Cushing sees the four of them from afar, and he's yeah. going... Halt, halt, and he wades into the water desperate, like, and they just wade back. They, they just like, um, slowly march in underwater away from him. Like, it's yeah. kind of like, like, because, like, in that moment, you kind of like know, like, he realizes they've gone AWOL. They're not, you know, they're not under his command anymore. They're because he was an SS officer or whatever, but it's like now yeah. he knows. It's, I don't know, just something about that scene. That's what I mean. There's a lot in this movie that's implied about yeah. the world that I wish was elaborated on in terms of world building somehow. Um, yeah. It's very, it's a very compelling premise for a movie. So I'll, I'll just end it there with my thoughts, guys. If you, if either of you guys want to finish off. No, I, I similarly, like, you know, I, I, I wondered what it would mean to be a commander of those guys. You know, they like, they're not going to take any orders. In fact, the problem was that they start to attack their own men. They were so, uh, vicious. Yeah. So, um, and I, I'm perfectly happy to, to leave, to live with the unease of not knowing the answers to that. It makes the whole experience so much more, um, just kind of off kilter and disturbing. And, oh, oh, quick question. First time you saw it, did you realize she was just scribbling nonsense in the book at the no. end? I didn't either. I, I had to watch it twice. I I, uh, it. I I think I had zoned out like at the end there and just thought like didn't think twice. Oh, um, just watch the last three no, minutes. No, no, I, I I did watch oh. it. Like, yeah, I actually watched it yesterday, and I noticed yeah. that, and I was, I didn't really. I don't think that did anything for the film in a way, but I knew what they were going for. I guess like, um, because it's such a traumatic experience. Like, I get it, but. Yeah, and then being out there on the ocean for a while, I guess you can go insane from that. That makes sense. But I really yeah, didn't I, expect I guess it. I didn't expect it either. I, I, uh, 
but then you accept that like no one will ever know this story because yeah. the only one who's left to tell it has lost her mind yeah um At i'm sorry tom go ahead i was gonna say that that's a good segue into our next film though read my oh. mind that's an excellent segue <laughs> And again, we're drawing parallels with all three movies that I didn't necessarily realize. I love this. So um, moving on from uh, Shockwaves, uh, 1977, um, my personal favorite of the three, and I don't feel bad saying that because, Nick, this is, was your uh, recommendation, yeah. um, the movie Messiah of Evil from 1974. Do you want to talk about this a little bit and introduce it for us? Yeah, Um so this is this is one of my um I, I just love this theme of like the the normal like the 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 townies the villagers the people that you're surrounded by every day becoming malevolent and i think it, i think it really resonates with um uh the feeling of someone growing up in a small town who's different you know, you've got different tastes in music, film, or you got hobbies that not everyone has. You feel sort of like an outsider. So you feel sort of separated from your community. And they all just seem like, you know, there's also that sort of teenage feeling where you feel like, you know, you know what's going on, but everyone else is sleepwalking, you know, all your teachers all your parents, all your friends' parents, the people in your town, like no one's really living life, but you sort of know the deal, you know, and sort of other, like feeling this distance between yourself and the, the people around you. And again, that's sort of what Jessica, that's the kind of the itch that Jessica scratched for me. And then I see that again here in Messiah of Evil, where and 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 the 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 people of the village are gradually turning into these malevolent people and some of them not even people some kind of creatures you're not even sure what the thing is but just to rewind um the the idea the premise of it is that um a woman has been receiving letters from her father that have been getting progressively more unhinged and he's talking about bizarre rituals that he's seeing and changes in his own body. At one point, he says, I can't feel anything anymore. And I cut my finger off and I couldn't feel the cut. And so she's getting these letters and she's understandably alarmed. And she takes a trip to Point Dune, which is where her father lived. And um, right away, like, on her way to Point Dune, she stops at a gas station and has this very bizarre interaction with the gas station attendant who you first see him just shooting into the dark. <laughs> He's like shooting a handgun into the dark. And that, I was, if I could stop you quickly, that gas yeah. station, that gas station scene you just talked about is even though this movie may not be as widely renowned as other movies that is one of the most iconic 70s horror movie scenes i've ever seen in my life that everyone should watch this movie just for that scene um and in, in, with the wider context of of just like the 70s horror movies and the 
I don't know, the, the drifters and the serial killers and all this weird stuff that goes with the 70s concept. But go ahead. I'm sorry. I yeah. can elaborate. Oh, but, yeah, uh, I, I want you I, to I come back to that. Because... paid for the whole movie, though. It's one of the best <laughs> plugs out there. Yeah, well that that also that also lended to the 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 realism. I, Tom, I don't know if you're joking. I guess you're joking, but no, I'm not. I'm, I'm being. They really they're they're a sponsor for the movie. No, they may have been. I don't know if they are. I, I'm saying that could have. Um, the old school Pegasus logo mobile really sold the scene to me too, dude. Everything yeah. about that scene, that scene could have been out of like a a modern movie that's supposed to be in a 70s serial killer movie or so. It's just so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they nailed it. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I, I'll, I'll be curious what, what it is about that scene that makes you say it. I, I love, I just loved it. And it's so disturbing when that, when the, that sort of albino dude drives his truck up and the gas station attendant like lifts up the tarp and he sees bodies, but well, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't react the way you would, you know, he reacts like someone who's seen this before. It's like, oh yeah, more of this, you know? And he just like <laughs> covers it up again and then attends to her. And uh, so so she gets, you know, he wonders like, why in the world would you want to go to Point Dune? But she does because she wants to meet, she wants to find out what happened to her father. And um, she meets this, trio of just the coolest weirdest characters this like super suave dude and his girlfriend presumably or she, and you know i don't think they have a very committed relationship and and then this other girl who is sort of like young ish you don't really know like man what is she doing traveling with these guys it doesn't seem very healthy but um, first, you think that they might have something to do. Well, I guess we yeah, can do yeah. spoilers on these movies that are like 45 years old. So, it's fine. yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, and so as as they, you know, I'm not going to go through a whole plot, but like her relationship to these people and to her discovering more and more what is going on. Um, it just sinks you. It's like this drenched feeling of dread like this dreadful dreadful village this dreadful town and the people get kind of separated there's that really disturbing hitchhiking scene where uh the woman i refer to as being the sort of girlfriend of the suave guy she like she's had it with him and she leaves the house and hitchhikes to town and she gets made some, she made some unwise choices that was not a good idea but you would think you would think that the mistake was getting in that car but the mistake was actually like going to town and going into that supermarket following the the creepy guy who didn't respond to you into the supermarket yeah like i mean yeah maybe look for a 7-eleven exactly but (laughs) all kidding aside though like yeah definitely a great movie i would say um out of the three this is my favorite because it there's there's a little bit of that art there there's a little bit of that ambiguous kind of something supernatural being inferred but it's very cryptic throughout the movie but there also is something very um there's some very bold and direct uh kills kill scenes 
Um, yeah. there's, there's some payoff for people who uh, want that um, confirmation of a, of a zombie horde or whatever you want to say. But the way you get to that zombie horde is more of a um, it's not a very feral uh, uh, visceral experience as it much as this like this weird cat and mouse chess game that these that this group of people. Well, I will. I'll give you that one of them is very visceral and feral. But the other one in the movie theater has yeah. that is an amazing. Again, I'm not gonna say that I love it as much as that gas station scene. That gas station scene is very special. I'll talk about that. But that movie theater scene is very, very interesting. The way they have the people kind of slowly get in there one by one and two by two, and it's very it, it, like I mean that is creepy, man. People really should watch that. That's an accomplishment just in terms of the cinematography. Um, yeah the staging of the scene uh you know no no dialogue just what they do with all that and um the the okay the gas station scene quickly what i love about that is it embodies so many tro- i don't want to say tropes because that kind of like sounds like i don't like but like it embodies so much so much symbolism uh and and imagery that i think People who follow true crime, especially from that weird 70s era, the the lot of weird hitchhiker, serial killer, uh, trucker, uh, you know, Pete never found type of stories from back in the 70s. Um, it also reminds me a lot of certain scenes um, uh, in Silence of the Lambs, like when he initially asked the girl to help him uh, move the furniture into the van and he gets her. You know mm. what I mean? Um, just this idea, the, the great American, uh, um, you know, gas station in the middle of nowhere and, yeah. and, the, and the, and the creep out there, just, you know, just the, 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 the weirdo, you know, with, with the, with the van or in this case with the pickup truck, um, just, you know, just, just the preludes to whatever weird dark shit is going to happen. And I like how you pointed out too the gas station attendant kind of knows what's going on, but like. Almost the same way, like if if you know you you see someone out of place in a very um, high crime neighborhood, you would be like, "Yo, get out of here, bro! You don't, I don't think you want to be around here, man. This isn't this isn't the deli, you know what I mean for you? Like, you, you know, like I, I like that. That's that's kind of like what he did, you know. He was like, "Listen, lady, just go, you know. Like, I know what's, what's yeah, but yeah. The, the really interesting movie, this, definitely the one that I think is probably the easiest for some of our listeners to throw on, especially this is a heavy metal podcast. So some of our listeners might not really like, like um, horror movies there. There's a bit, there's a wide Venn diagram and a wide crossover, but some people are not into that. So this might be a good one to throw on, or if you hang out, if you got a girlfriend or a boyfriend or somebody hanging out with you, that's not a huge horror movie buff. This one um, uh, is, I think it hits, it, it checks a lot of boxes, a lot of different boxes in a very, seamless way um yeah. I, I i really enjoyed this movie the the scene where they where she first meets the trio of the the rich guy and his two groupie girlfriends yeah. um kind yeah. of like a yuppie yeah. charles manson vibe going on and they're interviewing the the old guy who yeah. made mental problems and they'll tell him i thought that that was really interesting and ahead of its time because they're almost recording a podcast they're basically yeah, pretty much I mean, really they're basically doing uh, that YouTube channel, soft, soft white underbelly. 
Um, yeah, they're sitting there. And- oh, no, it, it, that that was what they were doing. I'm sorry, Tom. You can you take over. No, I, I I wanted to just point out that actor, Elijah Cook Jr. He's the homeless guy. I think he has the best performance. He's only in that one yeah. scene, really, or and the following one. But he has the knock it out of the park performance. You yeah. you can see it in his eyes. Like he's acting with every fiber of his body to like basically. He, he he's living in despair. He's not trying to save anyone. He's just telling a story to these strangers who are giving him wine. And uh, yeah. it is very strange and um, off-putting. And you, it, it's weird because they, they present him as crazy, but you know everything he's saying is true because of, yeah. like, the setup before that. Yeah. Um, Wasn't that cool, the way they framed that scene, too, with him sitting on the chair with a TV next to him? Yeah. That, like, that image was so weird. The TV was off. But but I think it's like, go ahead. It's almost like he was the entertainment for these, like, kind of bored looking, sophisticated, this sophisticated guy and his little girlfriend. You know, it was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was like the way the very dismissive way that that he was looking at and treating this guy you know oh that's a good point yeah Yeah. Um, by the way a little nugget about this movie the budget was so low for this the thing that they spent the most money on was that guy's suit ah the suave guy awesome he wears it in every scene i was watching the movie and i was like yo people used to dress like this like out like every (laughs) every day (laughs) they blew their budget on that one suit if we were doing this podcast in 1975, we would all be wearing like vests right now and slack. It's like talking, kicking it. Um, yeah, man, what what a great movie, man, and what an interesting premise, uh, interesting ending. And and I I do like the way this all ties in unexpectedly with the three movies because the it's not as hard for me personally to follow as the first movie. Uh, the imagery and the symbolism of the first movie is a little abstract, and I think there's some parts where people can draw their own conclusions. Talking about Lisa and the Devil, mm-hmm. um, whereas this movie, like I said, it does have a lot of that ambiguous kind of supernatural implication, but you don't know what's going on with the 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 monologues of the father, the father talking over the scenes about his final thoughts or whatever there's there's some weird stuff going on and you know and then there's also like there's some payoff though for the people who want a more traditional ghoul movie you know you want a monster movie right you know yeah. you want the, the damsel in distress and the monster monster killing her movie or whatever like there's some payoff for that more traditional horror route but you don't really you don't take a straight path there um and it's yeah. and pacing is great it's not too long um this this movie would have been terrible at two hours, but it's beautiful at an hour and a half. So uh, I, I just want to say that and I don't want to cut you guys off anymore. All good, man. Um, I I only had one more note. Um, the supermarket scene we mm. we touched on before. Um, the sound design and the music is fantastic. It's it's straight up like supermarket jazz. While she's, but they like amp it up. It becomes like part of this weird ambiance where it's just like a, uh, yeah, this woman is gonna get killed, and um, it's good. It's good for everyone else inside. Like it is a bright sunny day for those zombies. It's very weird. Yeah, yeah. I found it so so revolting the way um, 
they crowded around her the the way they shot her being devoured but it wasn't it wasn't like um night of the living dead where you saw close-ups of guts or anything like that you just saw their heads from the back you just saw their heads kind of like moving up and down you just you knew they were just using their mouths yeah so freaking disgusting it was so you know and you didn't actually see but you just know like all these like 70 year old people 80 year old like middle-aged folks just like eating someone alive just with their mouths it was so revolting and i guess the last my last thought about it again it's like all these movies that we're talking about today had this really solemnity to them and i think what this movie had that um maybe the others didn't have was um that people that became you know the 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 ordinary person that became one of these things that had like the the fulci bleeding that was kind of like mm-hmm. an homage you know the the blood tear that felt like a fulci thing but um they knew that they saw what was happening um but they weren't fully aware of when it was going to happen to them and there was that one scene out on the sidewalk where the suave guy meets up with just some random stranger and she's asking him for his help and she turns to him and and she has that blood tear and he says it's too late yeah and it's just it's like talking to it's like she realized she had this terminal disease like this rapid terminal condition and she was turning into it so like the sadness of that was I found that really profound in that scene as cheesy, you know, as low budget as this is, there's still like really potent emotions that came across in, in all these movies, I think. And in this movie, that scene for me, it wasn't any, it wasn't, you know, great acting. It was kind of stilted, but still you felt it's like, wow, this, this person just realized she's condemned, you know, this person she was going to, like, how is he going to help her anyway? There's no way to help. And then she realized, oh, God, I'm turning. It's horrible. Yeah. I thought it was really, 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 really dark, really beautiful. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Messiah of evil. Got any final thoughts, guys, before we wrap that one up? No, just watch all of these for real. They're, yeah. they're good. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely and like I said, I think Messiah of Evil might be the most easy to digest out of the uh the three of these. The first one, Least and the Devil, being a little bit a little bit on the artsy side for the caveman death metal crowd, in my opinion. Um, but still a good movie. Shockwaves. Uh maybe I'm um hmm. I'm just going to say a different experience than what even the iconic uh, poster and and video box cover might imply. Um, You know what I'm saying? It's a it's somber is the word, Nick. I love that Mm. word somber that you apply to the movie because it has a way of of explaining there's it's it's not high gore and high action. um, But well, without saying that in a bad way, it's it's a somber horror movie. So. That being said, uh, we thank you for joining us this this far on our road to Halloween. 
The horror movies are not going to stop here. As a matter of fact, we have even more listed out already. Uh, and Nick, if you'll be so fine as to join us again in a few weeks, we're going to do this all over again. But it's not over yet um, because it's high time to play a listener voicemail. Isn't that right, Tom? Yep. Let's do it. Hello, Heavy Hole crew. This is Ezra Cohen from Texas. Got a quick recommendo. This is Wicked Innocence's album Omnipotence from 1995. Uh, in my opinion, up there with the Afterbirth demo, the Dying Fetus demo, the Internal Bleeding, uh, Voracious Contempt, that's some of the earliest truly slammy, brutal death metal. But it also has sort of a weird spacey thing that reminds me of uh, Iniquity. Really a gem of an album and uh, just an awesome thing that uh, I've been listening to recently. Cool. Have a great week. Bye. Thank you, Ezra. Uh, shout out to you, man. Uh, checking in again. I remember Ezra's checked in uh, uh, once or twice before, maybe more, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's called in a few times. We appreciate his call. He's got good recommendations. Appreciate all our callers. Yeah, Wicked Innocence, Omnipotence. I've always known this. I read about this. In the 90s, in the grimoire of exalted deeds scene, if people remember that. Um, Beelzebub. Uh, early um, uh, pioneering uh, metal journalist and troll. Uh, he used to have some interviews where he trolled people a lot in the metal scene. Would, uh, but but regardless, um, Wicked Innocence, I remember the some of the vocals being described as bullfrog vocals, which obviously caught my attention back in the late 90s when that wasn't as common um, and yes, there are some of those guttural vocals that are reminiscent of original afterbirth vocalist Matt Duncan and Auntie Bowman of uh, Demolich. Uh, they're, the, they're at a time maybe when that wasn't as common. Um, but there's also a lot of stuff going on in this album, man. It's just one of those underground gems uh, that that's remained obscure. I don't know that it's ever had a proper reissue. Maybe I'm mistaken about that. Um, I actually know. I think I did see something float around a few years ago. People could look that up, but yeah, um, great recommendation, man. Um, I allegedly there's allegations. I own a bootleg of this that I'm not going to address. Um, <laughs> but a great, great album that's been floating around. Because I mean, well, back in the day, people just had to dub this for you because chances are you 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 know it was hard to get a copy of this. Um, so I I don't know if it's been reissued properly. I have to look into that, but. Wicked Innocence, really great band. This is a really great album for people who are interested in the earlier bands that had um, some more experimental death metal with guttural frog vocals. Um, guys, anyone want to weigh in on this uh, other than me? Nick? I, I didn't actually hear. I didn't get to hear that. Um, oh, I didn't get to listen to the. I, I didn't know about the voice. I didn't get to hear the record that he's recommending. Oh, so no worries. Yeah, I, I. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I thought I sent these along. Uh, well, um, I I just got a quick one through listen. Uh, it's cool. I like the way this pops a lot. That vocal man, the vocals are just so like awesome in the mix. And uh, yeah, it did kind of remind me of John Gallagher's vocals. And uh, yeah, shit ruled. And uh, I want to get I back into it. What's up? It was brave to have vocals like that back then. Yeah. Brave. Then, it was brave, <laughs> dude. It was brave to put out a, a death metal album that people could easily just forget about because it was just the underground scene back then and shit. And like death metal, you know, 
It was brave to put out a yo. Yeah, I'm gonna go with that one. <laughs> All right, we're going brave. Let's. Uh, I'm gonna put some on for <laughs> us to listen to. Real yeah, quick. yeah. Nick, check this one out, man. All right, man. It's all the vocals. It's all of them. So fucking. Oh, I love how the vocals. One thing, one one difference. I do hear the the, the similarity in tone to John Gallagher that you're saying, but um, uh, this has that kind of like uh, sloppy rhythm to yeah. it. To it, like John John Gallagher is so on point, man. Like a like a fucking rapper, like one of those reggae singers that goes all fast, man. John Gallagher. <laughs> It's one of the most rhythmically on point guttural vocalists in the game, man. Shout out to him all day. Uh, big fan of his work. But yeah, this is more of that variety of sloppy guttural, which also has its place. And I also do love as well, man. Um, so I just wanted to make that distinction that I noticed. Um, reminding me a little bit here of uh, Crimson Thorn. I want to say Crimson Thorn. It's been a while since I popped that one on. Do you remember the Christian death metal band? crimson thorn uh that we talked about a long time ago tom when we had our it sounds um, familiar i remember a couple yeah. of those bands having like a distinct kind of uh like killing on adrenaline kind of vocal approach uh, i'm so well funny enough 1995 uh crimson thorns first album unearthed which has some really great artwork too whether or not uh, whether, whether or not you're into the religious implication or not it's pretty sick death metal album artwork but they were a christian band but they had some of the most sloppy guttural vocals ever um and and it really worked so that's that's another thing but not to go off on a tangent um yeah awesome shit another cool thing about wicked innocence cool or maybe not cool depending on your 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 personal taste um i'd have to go back and and really dig into their discography it's been a while but I know they had a second album. I'm not sure that they went much further than that. But at some point, they started adding more. It's uh, from what I recall, it's been a long time. But like Alice in Chains, almost style vocals. Interesting. They started adding clean singing more in the style of the grunge bands of the time. Hmm. hmm. Gotta check it out. Um, and I don't remember it being horrible. But again, this is going off my memory from probably like 10 to 15 years ago, being the last time I checked out later era, Wicked Innocence. But thank you, Ezra. Um, for the omnipotence recommendation tom do we have uh did you want did you want did you want to yeah well, something? we got another voicemail and um a couple recos to follow that okay okay hey there heavy there hold there uh this is nathan from northwest and uh, i was calling in reference to the most recent shop shop talk episode shock top shop talk episode um where in which you guys were talking about uh, how uh, lyrics do and don't matter and where they do and don't matter. Anyways, there's another podcast that I cherry pick from. Uh, I'll send you the episode on the Instagram. It's from Spotify, though, so maybe I have Tom decoded or something. 
And uh, in it, it says that uh, music is processed in the temporal lobe, and the left side processes speech, and the right side uh, processes patterns and structures, and it's sent to the audio cortex where it sorts all that shit out. So that's kind of interesting. The guy doesn't actually uh, connect that, you know, you might like death metal more because your right side's more strong or worked on. You might like rap more because your left side's more strong or worked on, whatever. Anyways, um, so I wanted to recommend a couple of albums. Uh, one for your left side, that's uh, Necro, Prefix for Death. I'm pretty sure everybody knows who Necro is and what he does. And that's a great album. And the lyrics are disgusting. And then for the right side, um, I also want to recommend Cerebral Bore, Maniacal Miscreation. Uh, that's also a great album with really disgusting lyrics. Sometimes you might think if you're like paying attention to the lyrics, you're like, did I fucking hear that right? And you'll look those lyrics up and you did. And it's fucking weird and gross. Anyways, thought I'd uh, let you guys know that fun little piece of information and, uh, talk to you later. Thank you for the great job. Thank you for the great podcast. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's all one. Ah, perfect ending to Nathan with the perfect voicemail. Um, <laughs> Appreciate you, Nathan, man. Thank you very much, brother. And, um, wow, where to start? A lot there. <sighs> yeah, lyrics and death metal. Why bother? <laughs> <laughs> Why do I bother? Why do I waste my time? My C Cody from Afterbirth texted me before. He said, um, uh, he, he said, take a look at the lyrics. Let's, you know, let's brainstorm some lyrics to put on a t-shirt next year. So I'm like, <laughs> I just, let's just put Brie with, with like 10 E's on the back of the shirt. Yeah, I'm joking. Work. I take my lyrics seriously. I enjoy writing lyrics and reading lyrics sometimes. Um, uh, that's interesting though, because that makes me wonder if you listen to say death, uh, or obit maybe ob not the first obituary album <laughs> historically, but other but other bands that have pronounced vocals like in a death and, and, and pick a death album. You could typically understand most of the lyrics being pronounced. Yeah. But if you listen to devourment now, is that stimulating different areas of the brain than death? Because you can understand the lyrics in one, but not the other. That that's that's crazy to me to think about all that. Um, and I loved his explanation of that whole left brain, right brain thing, because, yeah, the left brain is doing the language processing and, and then the right brain is managing emotions. And and uh, when I think about the bands that I was most excited by, a lot of it had to do with what they were singing about when I was a kid, you know, like we were talking about Alice Cooper and Jethro Tull and, you know, the, the early, you know, heavy rock and deep purple and you know judas priest you can understand those words and a lot of that you know a, a phrase like well i don't mean to dwell you know uh that sticks in your mind you know as as like a lyric language thing and uh but then but that's like a different <clears throat> than to be completely liberated of that or not liberated is not even the right word but then to have this whole other area of music where the words are not popping out. It's like, I, I, you must be hearing it differently. The brain is probably activated, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, th think of like, you know, we're, we're t we have a hip hop recommendation. It's like hip hop essentially is like, 
it's a it's a few bars it's four or eight bars of of like not even really uh of a repeated loop 90 percent of the time and our brains are totally forgiving to that because we're not tuned into like what the instrumental is as much it carries it it's it's just as important but it doesn't need yeah. to be like like putting on instrumental hip-hops could like that that could hurt sometimes like i've mm -hmm. listened to instrumental hip-hop jay dilla stuff like that that's a time and place thing like i'm i'm ready to put that on and go have a conversation i don't need to like sit there and like stir a cup of coffee and go ah yes this four minute beat with no lyrics on it wow something else you don't I, I i just don't get that in hip-hop but you will get that in other places and you know the lyricism of hip-hop is just where it's at yeah 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 and i just use the term where it's at while talking about hip-hop so you guys can kill me ah. if you want well what's what's interesting that you say too is like like you know as everyone uh knows nowadays traditionally like hip-hop started with the dj and the mc kind of came into hype up the dj then it became more about the lyrics and the mc and something I lament a little bit about this era in hip hop compared to the '90s, which I am, um, you know, more into as a listener, as a fan, as a collector, is that nowadays it's less about the DJ uh, and the MC. Whereas back in the days, you had like EPMD, you had um, Eric B and Rakim, you had groups, you had the DJ and the MC. There was a, you know, if there was a group with several MCs, there was a DJ. Wu Tang Clan had RZA. Uh, making the beats like nowadays it just seems like <clears throat> producers and djs I don't, I don't even know if there are djs anymore there's just guys who make beats on computers yeah producers um, sell their stuff and honestly that's probably yeah. the best job in the world like once you get up there because you can live your life without putting your face out there and just sell beats what a nice thing dj Khaled. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean well i don't know even sure what he does to be frank, I, I'm not sure if he knows how to write an email, let alone actually make the beat. Um. <laughs> I first saw DJ Khaled, uh, like a, a a YouTube short of him doing something stupid. I, I was like, there's some guy out there trying to be like a low budget me. I think like he had the haircut and everything and the, the, the big and tall man, fresh <laughs> jorts and, and all that. But he actually makes a lot of money off of music. That's where him and I diverge in lifestyle, <laughs> unfortunately. But yeah, um, I dude, I don't know, man. Uh, but let's let's get to the meat of the hip hop conversation. We did have a hip hop recommendation there. Yeah. So let's. Uh, I'll put this on a little bit. This is a uh, Necro's album. Ooh, I forgot what it was called. But here's a sample. I'll the come prefix back. for death was prefix. the one he recommended, right? Prefix for death, correct. Right, yeah, yeah. I'm out. excited to talk about this. Yeah, yeah. Give it a listen. I want you to suck on my back. I'm most likely to respect you and let you come on it back. Yo, the more the grading I get, the more these ladies get wet. It's only busted bitches that can't take what I said. But fuck busted bitches. They make my dick limp. They're useless to a sick pimp like me who needs his gratification instant. But one thing ugly bitches are good for is being good friends that'll lend you money when you're poor. So shout out to the homely. And my deep condolences to you, bitch. Cause honey, for the rest of your life, you'll be lonely. And I know some of you are saying, Necro ain't all that. But your men don't even have to look good as long as you rap motherfuckers that are fat i'll have you on it last as long as he convinces you he's an emotional cat and if he's a cold person that got money most broke bitches will take <laughs> that was that was that was quite a selection out of like 20 songs or whatever on the whole album i, I um, yeah i just picked one that i like the beat on to be honest um but but that's necro man um 
great recommendation. Uh, and we've never even really cracked the service on Necro and Ill Bill and Psychological Records and um, all the death metal and hardcore crossover stuff he did later on. Yeah, I think probably a little shortly after this album, Prefix for Death. I remember when this dropped very well. Um, I talked before on the podcast about how Adam Rotella of Anal Birth got me into death metal and gore grind when we were teenagers and his younger brothers and cousins hung around his house growing up a lot and they were all into different types of music. So there was punk, hardcore, hip-hop, metal, everything was going on. Um, when we were in our early 20s, Adam's younger brother Aaron and I we used to we used to hang out um and we used to freestyle and rap we recorded raps and stuff and one of Aaron's big favorite MCs was Necro and Necro and Ill Bill and the whole psychological one of his favorite rap group rap groups I should say or rap crews was that whole movement and uh I also really enjoy Necro and Ill Bill I didn't follow all the other MCs associated and all that sort of stuff as deep as as um some of my friends from back in the day did but when this album came out almost it's almost 20 year old album which is hard to believe um yeah there's a lot of metal dudes featured on this it's like John Tardy is on this doing a spot for two songs Jamie Josta are you looking at are, are you sure you're on the prefix for death was that this one that was this one yeah I mean I, I okay was, all right I was looking at it when I Hold that sample down and uh because there's other out because later on he he leans into that even more hmm. um sampling metal and having other metal singers on and stuff like that he's somebody i have nothing but respect for necro i might not like all of his songs thematically um that's one thing is why i I, I like Necro. I listen to some of his songs and some of his music, and I've had CDs of his, but at the same time, the horror rap thing, um, he does it the best. Uh, and there's only, I, I can only listen to that shit for so many hours in a row at a time, man. But that's the thing I really like about this is that he shows a lot of versatility on this and on most of his releases. Like, he has the song... Um, uh, I was listening to the to the song before, man. What, what do you say? Children, something about children of the grave on this album. Um, but it's, a, it's kind of a slower song where he talks about growing up and him and his brother growing up back in the days in the projects in New York City and all this sort of stuff. Necro's got this uh, incredible street credibility and backstory of building his own brand from the from the ground up and making a lot of money as an independent businessman in entertainment and keeping things underground and his way of doing things. All these years, um, uh, people should listen. They they, should, they they can look up interviews that he's done. Um, uh, it's just, just real, really smart, intelligent businessman and entertainer to listen to. Uh, and regardless about how you feel about him lyrically or thematically, definitely somebody, a case study uh, and an independent musician, an independent artist who was able to make uh, something out of nothing and really build himself from the ground up. And I would say this too, uh, that on that note of horror rap and the, what he does thematically, I've leaned a little bit more towards ill bill, his brother over the years. I've always felt that ill bill was a little bit more my flavor of hip hop that I like as a listener, not taking anything away from necro, but ill bill, um, 
first of all, in terms of his versatility, the, the types, the, he, the different voices, the different rhyme styles, the different flows. Ill Bill is a lyricist, lyricist, a rapper's rapper. Necro is an amazing rapper, but Ill Bill just has some sort of special X factor to his stuff. And he's also very good. Uh, or he also in his catalog, he, he he's not as I want to say maybe pigeonholed as Necro is. Necro is horror rap, and he is so because he he can almost claim that he invented that genre or at least pioneered it, took it to a different level, made it made it his own, whatever you want to say. Whereas Ill Bill, I see as more of an underground New York City backpack rapper's you know mm-hmm. worst nightmare. He is he is the worst nightmare of New York City underground hip hop. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um whereas Necro kind of made his own lane. Uh Ill Bill just dominated the the you know he's he he's the nicest man. And people sleep on both of these guys, I think, because they're outside of the mainstream of of New York hip hop and what people think of as commercial hip hop and all that sort of thing. I I, I, I want to let you I want to let you get in here, Tom. I'm sorry. This is just like a very uh, la- laser, um, uh, pinpointed recommendation for me because I've, I've, I've a lot, a lot of history with these artists as a listener and as a fan and other people around me too and stuff like that. So, I'll just say this: it's definitely the if you're if you're not familiar with Necro or with Ill Bill, it's definitely worth a listen. Um, and in in looking at this, I you know I haven't kept up with these guys as much over the years too. But I just realized too, uh, a long time ago, several years ago now, Necro did an album with Cool G Rap, uh, who, if people don't know, is one of the pioneers um, of this rhyme style, this multi-syllable rhyme style that maybe was made more famous by artists like Big Punisher and Eminem. Um, there were artists kind of pioneering that style before those guys and alongside those guys and cool G rap was one of them. And Necro credits cool G rap as a big influence. You can hear that in his rhyme style. Necro's rhyme style is it's punishing as a rapper. He's a commanding MC, but it's hilarious. His delivery is fu- his voice, the way he leans into his lisp and mm-hmm. makes it, and makes it part of his dude the the guy the, there's something that's and I, when i say hilarious i'm not saying it like to clown him i'm saying there's something catchy and unique and about his just his delivery his ad-libs some of his ad-libs will just make you bust out man like this guy is uh, is a nut um i mean if uh, yeah I, I could keep gushing and going on and on and on like i said very wow. special laser pinpointed recommendation for me um, an, an artist who I look up to, even though, again, I don't necessarily agree with everything that goes on thematically and, and aesthetically. But if you learn about the guy as a businessman and as a model of what he did for himself as an artist, uh, even if you don't want to listen to a full album, listen to a full interview. That's all I'll say with that. And this Nick, is this. I'm, I'm, I'm if you took an MRI of my brain right now, it would be lighting up in every freaking look i'm 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 just cr- this is awesome for me this is like a crash course i'm reading about this i never heard of this this is for me i just like you know the learning curve is like vertical right now and blood sucking freaks he uses a beat from the horror film blood sucking freaks hell yeah in uh in a tune in a track called evil shit he uses um he uses uh he uh uses samples from city of the living dead Poultry sitting in the living dead. He uses samples from Bud Dwyer's suicide. Oh my freaking God. This is insane. This is insane. 
This album in particular has a lot of Charles Manson samples. I mean, this guy, yeah. Yeah, then, Manson is credited in the guest vocals. This is the, perfect, this is, this is the perfect recommendation for one of the Road to Halloween episodes. It's like, perfect. It's unbelievable. God, I'm going to check this out after we... I, I envy you, Nick, as somebody who kind of like is, is more recently in life on this horror movie tip. And now, mm. now you're going to get to check out Necro for the first time, which goes hand in it. I'm going to send you guys... Um, I believe I want to say it was Vlad TV, but he, he recently did a full length interview, one of these sit down style interviews that I aspire to conduct, um, where he gives his whole life story and his business and controversies he's had and all that shit. And it was so compelling to watch. I think even wow. people fans of the music should check it out. I'll send it to you guys in the um in the emails. But but yeah, Tom, I'm sorry, Tom, do you want to weigh in? No, not really. I'm just glad Nick is getting this out of this conversation and this recommendation um yeah. i'm like i i'm a little more in my own sphere of hip-hop this like necro like i listened to about half this album he's excellent just not really my cup of tea i'm not really mm. into the horror um like verbiage yes. so much but he's really good i have nothing bad to say about this and would recommend this for to anyone looking for uh this kind of horror escapism tied into hip-hop so well um there were so many events you know this we just had the anniversary of hip-hop here so there was stuff all over new york city and the bronx and all did well did you catch any of that stuff it was like a ton of ton of events for the Unf anniversary well I, I you know i watched a few things on youtube yeah. Um, but you know, yeah, I didn't catch anything live recently, unfortunately, man. I've you know, I've had my nose to the grindstone with work and yeah. with well they they're they're opening up a hip hop museum and there was like a preview, like for it was open for like a couple of weeks. I went there and um it it was it was amazing. Uh and then it like it was in a temporary location, then now they're gonna like like, like next year they're gonna open up like the proper hip hop museum. Gonna have to see if Necro ends up in there anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> it's it's such a top it's just such a timely conversation for for so many reasons at this point you know the whether the he anniversary and the whole horror theme yeah well whether he gets the institutional recognition or not um he definitely has earned his own place in hip-hop history whether people like it or not i mean the guy made his own lane that's what i mean the horror rap for me i appreciate his songs a lot especially this album has a lot of great songs where he shines and he does have songs where he speaks more about his upbringing and real life mm. situations um and, and keeps it real but the horror rap thing is his lane and something that he definitely owns um i know that he's not the only horror rap artist i never uh, you know, I, I and I'm gonna say this again. I like I'm not saying this to clown them. I don't. I'm not a big fan of the insane clown posse as musicians. But if it, again, if you look into those guys and see how they built their brand and own their own music and own the rights to everything and are like you know built their own thing without the help of um uh, a corporate record label or anything, it is impressive and it's something that you have to respect, regardless of whether you want to throw the CD on in your car or not. Sure. Um, and there's been a whole kind of subgenre that has risen up in the wake of the juggalo culture, uh, respectfully, of horror rap. There's like that. There's that. I don't Necro. I don't know if he has ever crossed over with them. I think in that interview I was talking about, he addressed that. Um, uh, but at the same time, it's it's like he's he's more accessible to me than all that stuff because he's New York. 
Uh, mm-hmm. He's got the, he's got that inner city New York credibility. Um, he's got you know it's it's all New York old school. There, there's there's New York old school hip hop flowing through his music. He makes I, I don't want to say at this point that I know he makes all his own beats. He's been around so long. I'm sure he's worked with producers and other people, but he's well known for making the majority of his own beats and making all of his own music and making beats for. If if you look into him, it's almost like he took that model that Wu Tang did, where he had a crew of guys and they each put out their own solo albums with everyone else featured on them and they formed little subgroups from the mig group like those guys were nuts in the in the like there was uh mr hyde gore-tex there were all these other rappers that were associated with necro and ill bill and they made little groups that would put out an album as the three of them or the four of them and they put out albums together they were really smart and um uh, 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 busy, hardworking businessmen. Uh, if you if you if you saw the model of what those guys were and probably still you know are doing, I don't know if all of them have kept up with Necro men. I know Gore-Tex. I had the opportunity to meet him briefly at a at a death metal show a few years ago. Um, I think he was actually at that Grim Reaper show we went to. Tom. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> I, I met him briefly then, man. Yeah, nice, hum- humble guy, nice guy. I didn't, you know, I didn't break bread with him or anything, man, but I would love to have a conversation with him on this podcast. Um, he's another rapper that people should really go back and check out if they want to, you know, dive into this whole underground horror rap thing. Gore-Tex is a, another great rapper, but we could go on about this all night, man. Um, yeah, we should uh, address the other side of the brain here. So uh, yeah, that was kind yeah, of yeah. covering the left side of the brain and processing words. <laughs> The other side of the brain, I'm going to put this on real quick. A little cerebral bore, maniacal miscreation. Uh, good album. Check it out. That's an intense album. Uh, I remember that when that came out. Um, yeah, 2010. Uh, I feel like it's kind of produced in a way that's a little bit ahead of its time in some ways. And I know there's been lots of brutal death metal, but there's certain there's like a certain tightness and vocal delivery that I don't. I didn't really hear as much before this time i feel like it's a little more common to hear that kind of vocal style and uh the drums just kind of like really on top like that and the slightly more technical brutality um i could be totally wrong you you know listeners you might oh well there's an album that was released five years earlier that's you know just like that well it's not the point it's a good album and i think it's it got popular enough where it influenced other brutal death metal bands um yeah you gotta you gotta hear that i I love how uh it just never settles down like every time you think you know what the pattern is it breaks it like it, it just so keeps you so off balance in all the all these really great ways like 
the way it opens, you know, you think you, you got this thing, pat, this pattern down, and then they extend it by like two beats. And then there's a sudden stop and like, just never letting you settle into predictability. Ruthless. Yeah. So that kind right brain a, stuff. Um, kind of a perfect storm of brutal death metal for the time period, just with the production, like you said, Tom and the vocals and, um yeah they did they just got it right if you're a fan of this type of brutal guttural death metal um uh this is definitely something for you i and this is a band that i feel like i want to say they're kind of like underrated underrated or undercredited for this style i feel like a lot of people who know know you know what i mean like mm -hmm. people who know the, the this stuff and know their ins and outs of brutal death metal respect and no cerebral bore but I also feel like they're a band that people who are more of on a surface level, brutal death metal thing don't know about for some reason. Like they, in a weird way, they get credit from a lot of bands as an influence, but I don't know that they have that following that they should have. No. And, and I think that this, I remember seeing this music video for the song Bald Cadaver when it came out and it being like, um, I don't know, on YouTube or something. And it had some traction, like it had a lot of views and they were doing some touring and stuff and i think that they broke up on like there was some bad blood with the band and uh it kind of stopped like this is their re last release and uh i don't know all the details um not really my business but you know i heard a couple things and it's like all right well i think the guy paul mcguire was kind of the reason who was a guitar player i think he was kind of just difficult to work with for lack of a better mm -hmm. term I, I don't know. I didn't follow these guys so much. I don't know about that, but they we did with Buckshot Facelift. We performed with these guys in New York City at one point. I don't know if it was their first time in the States, but I imagine it probably would have been around that because I think it was like 2008 or 9. Um, uh, and I know that they have some uh, a little bit of notoriety because I, I don't know if they at some point they had a a woman singing. Yeah, which, she sings on this album. Yeah, um, which was uncommon for the vocal style, especially at the time. But at the point where we played, I think it was before she joined. I think they had a it was four guys. Yeah, I'm gonna played. look at the. Uh, I was looking it talented. up. I think there was a few guys in the band around around eight two thousand eight nine ten before before her maybe. But I just I just remember we played with them, and then later on when I would see them come up sometimes on the internet, um, it would be in the context of, uh, um. You know, them being one of few bands that had a woman fronting them. So, but uh, yeah, I I don't know. Nice guys, from what I remember. I didn't, I didn't really get to know them very well. Um, my drummer from Buckshot Faceless was enamored with the fact that we were playing with real Irishmen. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to get them to drink with them the whole time. No, they're Scottish. They're Scot <laughs> That's okay. They're, uh, whatever, man. I'm sorry. I fucked that up. Not um, you. Uh, well, well, actually, no, it don't matter. I think he might have still been stoked. He might have been stoked for the wrong reasons. And I think don't well, tell him. That's what the I'm reason imagining. I think. That, I think our drummer really did mistake them for Irish. So I can, <laughs> I can kind of retroactively fudge that into into not my mistake, but my drummer's mistake from many years ago. Okay, that's what so I was talking about. To Will, give me that one, guys. All right, shout out to our listeners in Scotland and Ireland and everywhere else. All right. Oh, and she's she she's from the Netherlands. Oh, she wasn't she wasn't on that gig that you that you're talking about but yeah she's from the Netherlands that's but fun fact my mom got the uh whatever the DNA thing is where you find out who you are man and um uh we always thought we were Irish 
because we know that a few generations ago, people came over from Ireland to my family. But it turns out there's like more Scottish blood than Irish. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, so who knows, man? So that so I'm allowed to, to make that last mistake about cerebral bore. All right. I'm not sure. going to let this one go, Tom. I'm going to die on this hill. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, cerebral bore. Check them out. Scotland's finest, man. Um, uh, you said now they broke up after this album. I thought they were around for a while. No, uh, it looks like this one came out in 2010, and then they broke up in 2014. Um, and yeah, I think they toured pretty heavily after this album for two years, and then uh, some the singer she quit, and yeah, I think that the, the band just kind of petered out from there. Now that shows you because I see their name or I hear their name come up in conversation with people enough that I thought that they might have still been active or at least had been around longer than 2014. So that's what I mean. This band did have a reach with people who are in the know and who know a lot of bands and look up uh, maybe bands that 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 are that, that, that don't come up every day. Um, so that's what I was getting at before, man. Definitely a worthwhile recommendation. Thank you, Nathan, for both of these. Um, and I will continue to talk about Necro now for the next 45 minutes. No, just playing. <laughs> I just fade you out like without telling anyone. (laughs) Oh man. Well, what a night guys. Um, we've been going for a long time here to be respectful of everyone's time. Thank you, Nick again. Oh, thank you, man. And Tom, thank you as always for everything you do for the podcast. It's good to have you on board and hear your voice. You're not just tweaking the knobs behind the scenes, uh, as, as usual. Um, this, this is not, we're going to do one more, um, maybe more road to Halloween, episodes um behind the scenes we're plotting and scheming um we got some some other movies let us know and i love to say this on the podcast because i'm i'm entering the age where i can make dad jokes what's your favorite scary movie um (laughs) give us a give us the old voicemail it should be in the description wherever you're listening to this or send us an email heavyholepodcast at gmail.com um, or let us know your recommendations. Uh, let us know something that's going on in the, that, that show you went to or in the scene. Uh, let us know wh- whatever you want, man. Speak your mind. It's the Heavy Hole Podcast. Um, Nick, thank you again to you, Tom. So nice to have you back on. Uh, like I said, preview, Sean Walsh. Yeah. Uh, collaborating with you, Nick. He's going to be talking all about it. We booked him. Uh, and some other music of Skull Shitter, man. If people want to be, I don't usually do this, but if you want to go back and listen to the Skull Shitter episode, if you haven't heard it, you can kind of get like a preview on next week's episode. You uh, know, can I, I want to tell you my favorite part of that one was where they sent secret messages by writing notes on music staff. Do you remember that? Allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly, I won't say anything more about it, but oh my God. That yeah, was so like- there was, was so good. There was a lot of espionage in that episode. <laughs> yeah, but the listen, but you know what, man? Uh, we're gonna redact that for this episode. The listeners, if they want to know, we're gonna go back. Are gonna have to go back and listen to that one. I don't even know what I just said. 